Watch out, Spider-Man. Give it up, Hulk. Here comes Franklin Richards. Franklin Richards, son of a genius. In stores now. Catch him before he's all grown up. Aw, uh, I thought I got to read the ad. Who did you get to replace me this time? Oh, just, just the co-writer of Franklin Richards' Son of a Genius. He co-created that with Chris Iliopoulos. And he's also the writer of the Power Pack Ologist miniseries that started in 2005. You know, Mark Sumerak. Oh, uh, did we get him just to do the intro, or do you think he'd let us interview him as well? I mean, if not, maybe I could replace him for the interview. No, 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 Jeff. You can't. <laughs> Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the all-ages rebooted Power Pack series from the 2000s while drinking beer. Analyzing alternate, awesome, and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I'm Jeff. And I am Rick. And welcome to our guest, Mark Sumerak. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thanks so so much for having me, uh, but I, I didn't get a beer. Yeah, well, since we're doing this in the middle of the afternoon, I thought that it would be, and also because... We're going to wrap this up quickly so you can go and pick up your daughter. I thought it would be inappropriate of us to suggest that we drink a beer beforehand. Uh, fair. Understood. <laughs> well, well, we'll have one in spirit together later. That'd be really nice. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. You actually are our second interview and um, after June Brigman. And halfway through the interview, we you know mentioned that we do our podcast and we drink beer while we read through the comic books. She was a little upset at us and said, you know, I wish you had told me that. I would have been drinking a Guinness out here while we're talking, which <laughs> just made us both feel like, oh, we missed an opportunity to drink with June Brigman. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and she's a stout drinker, which is fantastic. Uh, to nice. So are we. So what's your, uh, what's your beers of favorite? Oh, I'm actually a whiskey man. Oh, so, good calls, good so, calls. Those are I'm, I'm less less on the beer and more on, on the whiskey. Let's just get right in the interview because I know we've got a limited time with you. When you were a kid, what type of media did you like to consume or what did you like to watch? You know, I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 78. So I was right at the heart of the Saturday morning cartoon world, you know, where oh, there was yeah. it was cartoons and toys and cartoons about toys and comics and comics about toys and comics about cartoons about toys. <laughs> so my whole world was comics, cartoons, and toys. And it was right in the prime of Transformers and Star Wars and G.I. Joe and He-Man and Thundercats and all of that wonderful stuff. Yep. And that cross-media synergy that had really kicked up in the, in the mid, you know, beginning to mid-80s was really what drew me into comics in the first place. Uh, I remember I had read some comics. My older brother had read some Marvel comics, some DC comics, and I liked looking through his copies of stuff. Uh, and I remember buying a few random issues off the newsstand uh, back in Cleveland, you know, when I was a kid. But when I first really got excited about buying a comic book was when I saw a commercial on TV for a Transformers comic book. The Transformers toys had just started coming out. There was a cartoon that was starting and there was this commercial on TV for a comic book. And I thought, wow, that must be important. I need to read that. <laughs> and, and it's 1984. So I was I was maybe five or six at the time. Um, and, you know, I, I I loved to read. And I think I, I kind of learned to read because of comics, because of my brother's comics. And I thought, man, this is this is going to be my comic. This is going to be the one that I 
read every month uh, and get off the spinner rack at the local drugstore. Mm-hmm. And so that was really my gateway. Those licensed books of the eighties, the, the transformers and GI Joe and the star comics that, that focused on licensed non-Marvel characters. And then I started seeing ads in those books for superheroes. And, and, and I remembered them from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And I went, I know those guys. I want to read more about yeah. them. And that brought me more and more into the comic book world. I was going to mention to you too that when you're listing off your, you know, watching the TV shows, you know, you've got your Transformers serial there. You've got the GI, you got GI Joe on the on the screen. Yet you missed the advertisements, which was the biggest part of the entire <laughs> part, that entire thing. But yeah, you see the commercials for these toys and the other pieces of pop culture at the mm-hmm. time it all ties together and draws you even further into its deep deep web oh yeah and it was beautifully synchronized i mean whoever was doing the marketing back then knew oh, yeah. what they were doing and you don't get that on the same level today because there's so many yeah. choices yes. out there you know it, we're just blitzed from all angles by streaming media and different options that you you don't really have the chance to settle in on just one thing back then there were three channels yep, yep to choose from and cartoons aired at a specific hour, so they knew when to target you and how to do it. And boy, was it effective. I was I was their target market, and they got me. Oh, we all were. Uh, I know that uh, I've had this conversation before where it's just like, there's so much media available now that not everybody's on the same page. But back in the day, right. it was, it's like, yes, you watched Cheers. Yes, you watched these shows. Yes, you were in front of the TV mm-hmm. on Saturday morning from 7.30 until 11.30. Then you had a little break, and then at noon, Godzilla came on. Yeah, and I was, you know, I was telling my daughter, uh, who's who's four and a half, I was telling her about that the other night. We were watching something streaming on Disney Now uh, on our Apple TV, and we had talked to her about the fact that you know maybe mommy and daddy could choose a show, <laughs> and she wasn't so keen on the idea. <laughs> and I said, you know, hon, we we watch a lot of the shows that you love to watch because they're available whenever we want to mm-hmm. watch them. I said, when daddy was a kid, if I wanted to watch a cartoon after school, I had to get home in time to watch it. And it wasn't ready to start when I got there. And I said, and if I wanted to watch something in the evening, it was whatever my parents wanted to watch because there were no kids shows on. Yep. And you were lucky if you had a second TV. Yeah. Yeah. I said, you, you've got it pretty lucky that, you know, we can sit down here and just choose a random episode of Go Away Unicorn whenever you want it. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, you don't ever have to sit through one of our shows. Um, so as a lesson, I think we made her watch an episode of The Great British Baking Show. And she ended up loving it. So, hey, well, yes, yeah. we yes. all win. It's uh, hard to not love that. That's, yeah. that's actually currently on our rotation of other things to watch. I, I'm, I got lucky somehow in, in my search for getting my eight-year-old to watch something that wasn't too insipid for us and yet we could enjoy as well. Uh, she is a lover and a connoisseur of The Andy Griffith Show. Oh, wow. And I do not know how I lucked on that one, let me tell you. Uh, but yeah, the great British Bake Off, also in our rotation. My daughter is confused by commercials. Yeah. She doesn't understand them. She's like, why are we watching this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. And and it is really odd. You know, they'll get those maybe one or two second interstitials for another show on, the, on a streaming show. But it's not, you know, TV commercials as we remember them, as we know them right. from live TV. And yeah, it really is just a different digestion of, 
of, of content that, that's out there right now. It's very strange. I like it better, though, because I don't have to sit through lots and lots of stuff I don't want to watch to get to the things that I do. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that, that is it, the it, nice sometimes part. Sometimes the worst is like, oh, i got to wait five seconds before I can skip the ad. Yeah, oh, right. Or, 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 life or, is so hard. Or now <laughs> it's like you, some we get something like the new she show that comes on, right. and it's like you watch that, and it's like, I want to watch this all right now. Yeah. Right. And I want to share this with my daughter. Yeah, so, yes, we can culture. watch everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. I had read an interview where you had talked about uh, that you learned how to write comic books by being an editor. I know I'm just kind of skipping ahead a little bit, yeah. but I'm kind of I want to kind of get into the power park part of this. You like seeing how artists and writers have to be in step to really tell a story well, mm-hmm. and I guess this kind of goes into what we were talking about because back how we got into our love of all fandom things, it was kind of a, a mixture of what we're seeing on the TV, what we're reading, how the commercials, how the serial, how everything kind of interplayed. But you're kind of saying that being in step with the artist and writers, that helps to really tell a story. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Comics is such a collaborative medium. Um, You know, the writer may come up with the story idea and write a script, but it's just words. You know, and until it's turned into pictures by an artist and then and then inked and then colored and then lettered, it's not a comic. You know, it is it is just a collection of ideas in word form. And I have seen comics that have absolutely soared to new heights because of the influence of a certain artist, whereas I have seen other comics fail miserably because a different artist was involved that didn't understand what the writer was going for. I have seen writers Mm -hmm. who have tried their hardest to get their message across, but it didn't quite work. And so when it was turned into pictures, it never quite clicked. And, And so you really have to understand the form of comics to understand how to collaborate between a writer and an artist. And I was very fortunate that I started my career on the editorial staff at Marvel because that allowed me the chance to get to see some of the best writers and the best artists in the industry and how they work together, how they collaborated, how their styles intermingled to create something new, and how Mark Bagley drawing a, a script by Brian Bendis was different than Mark Bagley drawing a script by Fabian Nicieza, or Kurt Busiek writing a script for John Romita Jr. was different than Kurt Busiek writing a script for George Perez because of relationships that they had, understandings of each other's strengths and styles of storytelling, um, and you were really the focus of what they wanted to do on each individual book. And, and I found that really fascinating. And so I made it my goal as both an intern and then an assistant editor and editor at Marvel um, to really get a deeper understanding of what makes a script tick. Uh, and then when I eventually transitioned to freelance writing, I made sure that I applied all those lessons I had learned into my own work the best I could. Because why would you waste the chance to have that masterclass and not use it in your own uh in your own process yeah there's no real reason to reinvent the wheel when somebody's giving you a car so (laughs) exactly and and and, i mean these guys know what they're doing and and there are differences and and you know um unique aspects to what each writer does and how they handle things but at the core what they're all trying to do is the same thing we're all trying to tell a story in a visual method and combine words and pictures to to tell you know an interesting narrative and methods may differ and styles of scripting may differ but it's all the same basic goal and when you put it all there and you look at all the different examples you can find what it's the heart what's at the heart of the process and distill it down for your own use did you ever find times when your writing was really influenced by your fellow creators using that same kind of method I think so. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a specific instance per se, but I mean, I, I think of when I go to a crowded page 
and I go, man, how would George Perez draw this? Or how would Kurt Busiek script this? Mm. You know, because they are masters at drawing a lot of characters or writing a lot of characters in a small space, you know, or, or I think, man, you know, if I were writing this fight scene for John Romita Jr., how would I approach my script to get the message across to him? Because he's such an amazing storyteller. And, you know, they're, they're, he does... You know, you give him a few words and he turns it into a million pictures. And I think, you know, what could I do to get that same effect from my artist in my script? And so, you know, it's always in your mind, I think, but I never, I never directly try to ape another writer's style per se. Um, even when writing a book with characters like Power Pack, where those characters have been established in the past, I never went into it and said, I'm going to write this like Wheezy. I said, I'm going to write this like Power Pack. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I was able to do so. Well, great segue. When were you first exposed to Power Pack? Uh, back in the 80s. You know, I, I think I was exposed to Power Pack pretty early in their life cycle. I can't, you know, I honestly can't recall because I was always exploring new comics, you know, throughout that era. I can't recall necessarily the exact first time I saw them. I very distinctly remember reading their crossovers with the X-Men. Uh-huh. Um during the, the mutant massacre days and all of yeah. that and that great Katie and Wolverine story and everything <laughs> yeah. there. But I was aware of them before that. I knew who they were. I had probably picked up an issue or two of the series, but wasn't a regular reader um, because being a regular reader in the eighties sometimes was kind of hard. Uh, you had a newsstand, you know, I had a local local drug store that had comics, but it wasn't a guarantee that they were going to get the next issue of the comic I read yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't know of any comic stores at the time. You know, I didn't know a comic store was a, thing back then um so to me it was the luck of the draw if i went in and i found a new issue of star wars instead of a new issue of transformers that's what i bought because i wanted to read a comic and it looked cool you you know so so there was never a guarantee of of consistency and continuity and and an unbroken run per se then you know i i I started to like the characters after that and continued to read And, and then obviously uh, when when we got to the point where I was writing the series, I went back and and reread from the beginning and did all the research, you know, to make sure I was fresh and up to date on all the continuity and the characters, even though there was a distinct effort not to necessarily lean on stories from the past. How did you first get approached by Marvel to do this alternate power pack, and especially not pick up power pack again, but start a new alternate series? How did that come about? Well, it was around, it was around 2000. Um, and I had, I had started doing some, some writing work for Marvel. I had done a series called guardians, um, which was a riff on a very unpopular group of heroes at the time known as the guardians of the galaxy. Who? Very unpopular. They, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just, they, at the time they were nobodies and, and they want, you know, I, I had pitched when I was an editor, I had pitched the idea of taking a different approach with the Guardian's name and doing something bizarre and, and different with a new group of characters. And when I had left Marvel's staff and, and went freelance eventually, um, I had an editor say, hey, remember that Guardian's idea that you were you know, pitching around as an editor? Is there any, re- any uh, do you have any interest in pitching that as a writer? And I said, well, sure, you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'd, I'd love to revisit that. And so I did, and it, be, it became a, a limited series. Um, and I had then been doing some work on Marvel Age Fantastic Four, a few other titles here and there. And one of my editors had asked me to pitch some ideas of, uh, you know, different different things we could do together. Um, and one of those was Machine Teen, which was a limited series that I did. And another one was Power Pack at the time. And, and I, I don't remember if they said to me first that Power Pack was an option or if I said to them because it was, you know, at, at this point, 14 years ago. So right. it's a little yeah, it's a yeah, little blurry. Yeah. But the discussion was had about Power Pack. And 
I had worked with Gurahiru, the Japanese studio that that did the art for the Power Pack series, um, when I was an editor. I had worked with them on on a couple of Fantastic Four stories in Marvel Double Shot and some other things, and we really loved their style. And so when their name came up as an option, I I was really excited about the opportunity because from the get-go, we kind of wanted to take an easy access Saturday morning cartoon kind of vibe with the new series, and they seemed like a perfect fit for that, for a modern audience. Now, you saying the Saturday morning cartoon feel is... That is how we've been describing it. Just perpetually describing it as Saturday morning cartoon. You just want to be in your footy pajamas, having your bowl of cereal, and just, uh, you know, it's like you're sitting down watching the show. So, yeah, you 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 hit you hit awesome. that on the head, man. That is amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad it worked because, I mean, that really was the intent. It was, if, if I was watching an episode of Power Pack, you know, with my kid, what what would it be? And that's what we, what the feel that I was going for at the heart of that series. So, do you remember who came up with the idea that it was going to be all alternate universe and not a continuation? I think, you know, I think it was more of just kind of an overarching marketing type of thing. You know, I, I think at the time, the the goal was to have an all ages branch of Marvel stuff, the Marvel age, and then be what became Marvel Adventures series were doing well at the time. And they wanted to have books that would appeal to a younger audience and could be marketed as such. When I went into it, my goal was not to say, these are the alternate reality Power Pack members. Right. Uh, I was writing them as if they were the Power Pack. Mm-hmm. And eventually, over time, it was kind of, it just became like, hey, this is, this is alternate Power Pack. This is not, not the core Marvel Universe 616 Power Pack. And I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. But you'll notice in, in the early issues, you know, the goal was, was not to contradict what had happened before. It was to lightly reference it and move forward from that foundation. And that's why the kids were a little bit older. Um, you know, because time had moved forward in the Marvel Universe. Franklin Richards was a little bit older. And so we wanted to, you know, address that, you know, if should should we ever tie it into the mainstream Marvel Universe, that would, would have been the logical age for them to be. And and the characters that they were meeting at the time, you know, whether it was in the crossover series or in the original series when it was the Fantastic Four, were usually themed appropriate to how they were at that time in the mainstream comics. Right. Well, I, I think you did a fantastic job with it. I mean, we I love the fact that it is just enough outside where it's not in continuity, but at the same time, if you squint your eyes, it's no problem seeing it in continuity. And I think you mentioned before about how you did your research and you went back and you weren't trying to like reference anything in the past. I like how you took the characterizations that June Brinkman and, and Louise Simonson created kind of aged them up a bit and set them into a little bit different stone, if you will. I think you did a very nice job on that. But Thank how you. did you how did you come up with that process? How did you decide to make those slight changes? You know, it was a lot of back and forth, um, you know, with, with the editors and, and just giving kind of my my genuine gut feeling about, you know, OK, this is the kind of kid that Alex was when he was in Power Pack five years ago mm-hmm. in, in, you know, the comics. This is what we saw him slightly grow into in the 2000 miniseries. Right. Where would he have gone from there? You know, and, and that was the, the train of thought, basically, is if I were a kid and these were the things I liked when I was five, how would I feel when I'm eight? How would I feel when I'm 14? And how would those likes and dislikes and personalities grow and evolve with the different things that I faced along the way? And so it was just trying to put myself in their headspace and come up with with a natural progression for the character. And you could have gone a million different ways. You know, I don't think there was any wrong way per se, because the characters were in their voices. I tried to stay true to who they were originally, but 
kids make different choices. Lots of kids start out the same and grow up in completely different paths, you know, because of, of external influences. So we could have done a lot of different things with them. But I think the path we chose was a logical one for who they were and didn't divert too far from where the original story stood. If you looked at the Julie in the 2005 series and looked at the Julie from the 1984 series, you could reconcile them. You could say, hey, Julie, Julie could have grown into that girl. And that was kind of the goal. Well, I mean, you, you didn't you made sure that you didn't make it like you know, Jack was more acting like Alex or vice versa. Mm -hmm. That would have been very obvious. But I think you're right in moving them up just a little bit. For us, it kind of feels a little bit like they're they're a little bit more set in a stereotype. Yeah, they're more it, of an archetype. They're more of an archetype, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instead of being more of a rereading the original series as we are now and kind of walking through the issues, we're seeing some sometimes inconsistencies with characters, but we also see very much a growth with the characters over a longer period of time yeah. instead right. of just, you know, here's here's what Alex is and we know what Alex is going to be like in the rest of the shows. And same with Jack, too. I think it's, you did a very nice job with that. Um, but I was curious, did you ever have an opportunity or did you ever have any conversations with any of the original creators of Power Pack about what you were doing? You know, we, I, I did not. I don't know if the editors did. Uh, I know at one convention, at one point, uh, Louise Simonson and, and Walt Simonson were at the convention and I had never met them and I was a huge, huge fan. Um, so I made sure to stop by and, and introduce myself to Louise and, and just say thank you. <laughs> um, for all the inspiration and for years of, of great reading, not just Power Pack, but X Factor and so many other things that I love. Yeah. Yep. And just to say, you know, I'm, I'm currently writing the 2005 series. I don't know if you've, you've read any of it, um, but I just want you to know what an inspiration you are. And she was very appreciative and very kind. Um, and that was the furthest interaction that we had. But it was very, it was a nice moment for me. You know, it was one of those <laughs> things that, that I, I still remember very fondly. And she probably, you know, I don't know if she would or not. Yeah. It made an impact on me because to me you know they're they're legends they're heroes oh, you know, yes. waltz waltz has drawn good god every comic that i love and <laughs> and, and we Weezy has written and edited so many books that i care about that how could you not thank them uh just you know if, if you had the opportunity you yes. got to have your fan moment that's yeah. great so i mean yeah and i mean we still have these you know there are there are creators that i meet and creators that i you know even though i've been in the industry for 20 years I'm still a fan and I still love these people and I still appreciate what they've done. And it might be easier to reach out to them on Twitter nowadays because I, I work in, in the industry, but it's still, you know, it's still something special. It's still something nice to be able to say thank you and to be able to show appreciation for what they created. I think you've done a fantastic job of doing so. I don't know about for Jeff, but I think for me reading through this, it feels a little bit like a love letter. <laughs> to the creators yeah i think i, th I think that's kind of how it was intended at least in my heart you know i i think i think i i definitely had a little of that going on you know i i, I loved these characters i loved the creators i wanted to to put my own spin on it but give back in their direction as well and let the legacy continue not to take anything away from any other creators that are out there but i think that there is a difference between somebody who is a writer of comic books or a writer of fiction taking a property and moving it forward and a fan that's going in and saying, I want to create something that I would like to read and that other fans would like to read. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that, that you can see, uh, kind of thinking about, you know, we're talking about X-Men a, a little bit, looking at the current run and things that are happening on X-Men, they've got a lot of fans that are writing and you can tell. Right. And there's a lot of good kind of respect back from the fan community right. going forward with it, too. 
I think there's got to be a balance, though. I think there's got to be a balance between professionalism and skill and understanding of the needs of the company, because these are company-owned characters, and there is a publishing agenda behind any book. Right. That agenda, first and foremost, is to sell copies. Yeah. Um, but on a larger scale, it's to fit into the line and serve a purpose within the publishing um, over, over arc. And so I think you have to balance those things. It, it would be fun to just go in and geek out and, and write fan fiction all day. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and, and tell the stories exactly how I want to tell them. But there's also the realization that the stories may not serve that purpose within the larger um, venue of, of writing a comic book title. And so you have to balance. You have to balance professional writer and fan. And the people who can do it best are the ones that succeed in, in the business, I think. The people who really deeply love this stuff, but also understand the limitations and, and the requirements of the job. Fantastic point, And you are correct. <laughs> I am humbled by that. <laughs> when you were setting this up, did you have an idea that you would be doing four-issue runs or multiple four-issue runs? How far did you plan this out? Or how far did you and the editorial staff plan this out? We had an idea that we would be doing four issues when we started out. We knew it was going to be a four-issue limited series. There was hope that people would like it and we would do more, but we had no idea when we started. And, and so we did this first one. It got some good buzz to it. People seemed to enjoy it. And as we were working on that, I think numbers came in at a high enough you know, level that they said, hey, we want to do the next one, but we want to bump up the recognizability of the characters a little bit. So how about we do it as a crossover with another group of heroes to appeal appeal to an audience? And, and, and that's when X-Men and, and Power Pack became a reality. And that was kind of the turning point where they said, okay, let's do more of these and make it kind of the, the gateway into the Marvel universe for younger readers. So it was a way to give a point of view group of characters for, for young readers, you know, that they could relate to and be the same age as and, and understand what they were going through, but also introduce the vast Marvel universe to them, you know, through those eyes. And, and that was, was what we were doing in those miniseries. So yeah, it led to Avengers and, and Power Pack Assemble and then Spider-Man and Power Pack and so on and so on and so on for, I think like we, there were like 11 yes. of them, I think, yes. total. I, think. I didn't write all of them, but there were, I think there were right. 11 of them. So 44 issues over, over the course of a few years, which was pretty fun. More Power like Pack that. content. We are not complaining. You've yeah, given we, us more stuff to do. Yeah, so. basically, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we want more Power Pack. We absolutely love it. Hey, <laughs> yeah, me too. Hey, do you mind if I ask you about like uh, some design choices? Yeah. Okay. Uh, big one I have is uh, like the Snarks. Yeah. So uh, you know, right off the bat, you have a uh, Scrat, and he's more of like a lizard man appearance than the classic right. uh, you know, Snark kind of appearance. Uh, what was the reasoning behind that? The None that I know of. That wasn't a, that wasn't a, a direction in the art, you know, that that I had written. I didn't say let's modernize the look of a snark. Okay. You know, that was a decision that was made by likely by Gurahiru or oh, okay. perhaps by the editors. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but it was their interpretation, and I go back. You know, when I get questions like that, it's a very good question. If you've ever read old issues of you know Silver Surfer or Avengers, mm -hmm. that. Mephisto is in. <laughs> he has a very specific look. Mephisto has a very specific look. He's he's got the wild hair and the cape, and he looks kind of yeah. like a dashing devil. You know, he's he's oddly kind of naked, but has a loincloth. He's a weird dude, but he's you know he's yeah. I call him I call him the used car salesman of whoosh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's a very specific Marvel demon. But then, and and I know I've invoked his name earlier, but then you read an issue where John Romita Jr. 
draws Mephisto. I think he's done it in Daredevil and some other places. And it is a totally different character. It is this weird kind of sketchy interpretation of a demon that looks like a lot more monstrous and Mm -hmm. totally different look. And it's the same character. It's, you know, it's a different interpretation of the character by a different artist. And that happens a lot, you know, throughout the Marvel Universe. You'll see one artist's take on a character versus another's. And and I think just in this case, that's how Guru Hero interpreted the Starks. Okay, yeah, because I know in day one, they went back to the uh, classic snark appearance. Yeah, and that was, I think Corey Hampshire drew that. Okay. Um, and I, I think that, that since that was so heavily tied into the early years of Power Pack, I think, I think there was a lot of referencing done to make sure it, you know, visually tied into those early stories as well. Okay. And so like Power Pack costuming and everything, since it's altered a little bit, it was basically just artistic choice? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was just streamline and update. That was basically, you yep. know, the idea. It was, it was take what works with the old costumes and just give them a fresh coat of paint for a new generation. Yeah, well, it looked, it looked good. And yeah, uh, all of the stuff that you guys did have was just fantastic. I think Rick was touching on it earlier. The characters, you know, it's like, you know who they are. I love love what you did with alex yeah you made you made me like alex yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. Uh, yeah. alex is always that, kind of, is always like right at the beginning of our uh, like our first show we talked about which are our favorite kids which is our worst kid you know and rick was like i don't like alex but then we got to these and that rick's like i really like alex and yeah, yeah. alex is a lot like cyclops to me yeah you know he's one of those characters that that sometimes y- you go oh, I, I i get what he's trying to do but then sometimes you go, oh man, his methods. I just, I just don't know with this guy. <laughs> and, and 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 I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to bring a little more humanity and likability, you know, to to him um, as as a teenage kid because that is, I don't think that that June Brigman and and Louise Simonson were inaccurate with their portrayal of Alex at the age he was at. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I, it works. I think that was actually actually kind of perfect for a character that yeah. age, but that most kids that age aren't terribly likable <laughs> to be honest um and, <laughs> and and so so uh you know it was seeing him a little bit older and a little bit more matured and kind of handing that baton to jack uh, <laughs> um, you could you could kind of see where alex learned from what he had done before and stepped into his own as a leader and that's kind of what we were trying to show with his evolution you know is he had gotten gotten past some of that worrying and some of that you know that general, oh gosh, I don't even know how to say it, but you know the, the the personality quirks that he had that made you kind of steer away from him as a reader sometimes, even though you knew he was making the right choices as as you know a, a, logically as a reader. I, I think we we tried to see what we could do with him to bring him to the next you know the next evolution of his character. It's kind of funny you mentioned the Cyclops reference. First of all, I I am a Cyclops apologist as myself. Um, <laughs> I, I have one cosplay that I do, and that's Cyclops. Uh, but. <laughs> I think you get your chance to have that Cyclops Alex moment at the end of the X-Men and power pack. Mm-hmm. And, and you had that little bit of passing the baton of, you know, here's how to be a leader and, you know, don't make mistakes. Yeah. That I did kind of a thing. It's nice that you bring that up. I, I can, I can definitely see what you're talking about there though. Yeah. There was definitely a reason that, that, issue exists you know with the two of them is is i i saw a lot of parallels in them as leaders and i wanted to kind of address that well that's that's right that's writing our script for that episode coming up i think right there (laughs) (laughs) let me ask you a question about some of the power pack tropes mainly kidnapping and constantly revealing their secret identities sure i like how you kept that going but why do those (laughs) things keep happening to these kids Well, what do we what we got to remember is superheroes get captured by supervillains all the time, and sure. we don't call it kidnapping because they're adults. Okay. F- fair enough. You know, it, it's it's no different than you know one of the Avengers getting taken hostage by Doctor Doom. It, it's it happens. It's superhero comics, and 
at the same time, there is a genuine fear, both for parents and for children, mm-hmm. yeah. that someone is going to take them away from their comfort and safety. And so it's, I think, in general, in children's entertainment, it's a trope that is time tested because it works well. You know, it plays upon a lot of emotions um, and and the bad guy taking you away, whether it's, you know, Carmody, the boogeyman, or if it's if it's, you know, Mr. Sinister, it's still the idea of I'm being taken out of my safe environment and I have to fend for myself and I might not make it out. What do I do? And that's something that relates. This is something that we have talked about a lot too. kind of going back to the original series. And when we collected because we're about the same age when we collected the original series as kids. And other people like were like, oh, why are you reading that? That's a kid's book. <laughs> and yet we looked at him and said, yeah, but have you read this? Because this is dark. Yeah. These are kids that are dealing with a lot yeah. of the same oh, things yeah. that superheroes yeah. it's are. It's kids in a book. Yeah. It's not a kid's book. Right. And I think that, that exactly. Touches, There's a big distinction. Yeah, yeah. That, that touches on exactly what you're talking about there. Well, and there are there are so many good movies and good animated series that star kids as their lead, but it doesn't mean that they're just aimed at children, you know, for for their audience. I think, the, luckily, you know, the views of these things are a lot different than they were in the 80s. Uh, you know, it's it's not it's not quite as pigeonholed as it used to be. However, you know, the, we, we did live through the, you know, comics are for kids idea. And, and it was tough to break people of that. You know, now, luckily, most people see comics as literature, which is great. Um, but that wasn't always the case. Right. And, and when you all of a sudden have got a comic starring kids, that makes it even more of a baby thing. Right. And so, yeah, it was, it was a tough thing to beat. We always like to say that all ages means all ages ages it doesn't just mean kids it means it's appropriate for kids but that everyone can enjoy it and that's how we tried to write it when you did the setups for these miniseries speaking of little tropes that you've got for the series itself was the focus always going to be that there was going to be kind of a child that one child that was going to be front and center for each issue or because i saw that in the first miniseries but i saw it continuing throughout the run as well was that a conscious choice or was that just a side effect of the writing it was a conscious choice. Uh, it was definitely a conscious choice for the first series mm-hmm. because we knew we had four issues and we had four team members. And I treated that first series as the pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted it to be like, let's meet these kids. Let's give them each a big moment to shine. Let's give them each a dilemma. You know, so in that first issue, you've got Katie and the, and the problem of revealing their identity. In that second issue, you've got the, the choice of, of Alex and leading responsibly. You know, do I do I we you know by by uh st- do i stay home with my family and make the right choice or do i follow my heart and go out with this girl you go out with a girl and and how do i balance <laughs> these things in the third issue it's it's a jack issue and it's jack and, F- and the fantastic four and it's it's all kinds <laughs> of ridiculous nonsense that jack gets himself into because that's what jack does and then actually finding a way out of it by the way congratulations on finding jack's soulmate in Johnny Storm. <laughs> that is that is perfect and yet frightening at the same yes. time <laughs> oh so many parallels so many we call them the hair gel boys yes i love it and then you've got that last issue you know where julie is is debating whether or not she wants to keep doing this which i found kind of funny that later on in julie's superhero career in the mainstream marvel universe they kind of picked up on that with the loader series where julie left being yes. a, a member of power pack and and you know went off on her own to do her own thing in la i kind of you know smiled a little bit to myself because i went well maybe you know maybe that's because they saw that story. I don't know. But then when we got another four approved, I went, well, that makes sense to continue to a certain extent, just like in normal episodic television. Mm-hmm. You know, certain episodes take a character and push them to the forefront. I figured from that point on, we don't need to do an issue or an episode or an issue that is just about one character primarily. But if one character 
comes to the forefront slightly during those decisions in each issue, it gives them each a chance to shine. And with those four issue structures, it, it made sense. Um, so I continued to try to make sure that there was a thematic character in each issue. Okay, well, speaking of the issues, where would you like to see this going into the future? Would you like to see your franchise continue, you know, your universe version, or go back to doing the original version or anything? Uh, you know, would you like to see more Power Pack exist? I would love to see more Power Pack exist. The likelihood that they're going to say, hey, let's, you know, restart this version of Power Pack that has been, you know, on the shelf for six years now is slim. So I don't expect that. What I would love to see is more Power Pack in the mainstream Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd love to, you know, the kids are, the kids are out there. You know, Julie just appeared in some issues of Runaways in the last couple of months. Yep. Um, Alex is off saving the universe with the Remains of the Future Foundation as Professor Power. Yeah, yeah. And, and which I think is awesome. You know, right there, that's a, that's a Power Pack follow-up series waiting to happen. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we've seen Jack and Katie occasionally. You know, they were, I think, uh, during a, a recent crossover event, they they had their own you know little story with Julie. Right, but that was in Civil War. Yeah, yeah, during Civil War too. But it, you know, there's there's not been a lot of use of those two characters. I would love to see the, see more of them down the road. You know, they're they're always a welcome addition to the Marvel universe. The problem is, you know what is the hook that makes the book sell in a level that it needs to? Because again, comics don't survive as long as they used to, mm -hmm. you know, you, even, even the best book with the best talent, sometimes you're lucky if you get, you know, six issues out of it uh, in today's market. And so when you launch a book, you got to know that it's, it's at least going to hit with an audience. And I think the stuff is there to make power pack do that, but it's a matter of, you know, making sure that, that everybody upstairs who signs, signs the, uh, the checks and stuff is, is aware of its viability as well. And I think once they find the right combination to make that work on a continued basis, it'll happen. I don't think Marvel is ever looking to bury characters. You know, they've got so many of them and they, they want to use them in cool and exciting ways. Just finding the right way for today's audience. We're trying our best to sell it to the masses with our little podcast. <laughs> well, it's a preview. Oh, we, we love it. We, we, I was a little amazed when we started this off because we threw this out there. We're like, ah, oh, we're going to have a couple people listen to us. Yeah. We got a pretty good hit early on and people saying oh my god i love power pack i miss them and oh my gosh there is some fans out there that are still clamoring for power pack wonderful and the the fans that are clamoring for it are strongly clamoring for it there are people that are just awesome like still power pack fanatics we're gonna shift gears a little bit because sure we gotta know about franklin richards i mean the fifth <laughs> beetle here <laughs> And the way you used him with Chris Eliopoulos, Franklin Richards, son of a genius. We love these. Oh, great. We absolutely love these. They're fun. We asked you this before, but we really hope you don't mind that we uh, are using these for our cold opens. Yeah, it's great. How much, when you and your friend Chris were co-creating this, how much did you design this as a slight homage to Calvin and Hobbes? Well, it's funny. You know, I, I came into Franklin Richards a little bit later in its development. Chris had come up with the concept and had pitched it to Marvel. And Marvel liked it a lot. And they thought, yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. And since Chris was at the time, you know, primarily known as a letterer of all of Marvel's titles, I and mean, he lettered everything, he was amazing. And he had done some some books of his own, uh, Des uh, Desperate Times, I believe it was called, where, where he had done the writing and, and the art for it for Image. They wanted to, you know, pair him up with a co-writer to, you know, both help his schedule because he was, again, lettering every one of Marvel's books at the time, it seemed like. <laughs> And also, you know, just, just to make sure that they had the right feel for it. So they teamed the two of us up and we 
we worked really well together. And, you know, I will always, always, always claim that Chris is the mastermind behind that series. It would not exist without him and without his genius ideas. And he has gone on, you know, he does those ordinary people change the world books with Brad Meltzer. Uh, now, you know, it's, you know, uh, I am Abraham Lincoln and I am Gandhi and all those little square bound books you see in every school book fair in the world. So he's gone on to do amazing stuff and well-deserved because uh, he's a fantastic cartoonist. But yeah, I mean, we came in and obviously... There is, just in his style, a certain connection that people see Calvin, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't in an effort to necessarily homage Calvin and Hobbes as much as it was to pay homage to classic comic strips of yore. Right. You know, there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of peanuts in there. There's a lot of Calvin and Hobbes. There's a lot of just simple quick panel to panel fun yes we wanted to tell easy stories in a couple of pages that you could read with your kid and then put down and the i mean it's a very formulaic franklin finds a device he gets in trouble he (laughs) goes to herbie herbie cleans up his mess everybody's happy i mean that's every story we did like 80 of them and that's every story but herbie shrinks him back down to size a little bit smaller than before the the yeah the fun is in the variation the fun is in how does he do it this time? Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like reading a newspaper comic strip. It's, you know, that Lucy's going to pull away the football, mm-hmm. but what's going to make it funny and special this time? And that's, you know, that's where we go back to with those. Actually, Jeff brought up a good point. He's been noticing in the ones we've been reading that you've been making Franklin Richards smaller and smaller and smaller in each one. I don't know if that was, in, <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be that way, but like every one where he shrinks or his size changes, they always bring him back just a little bit smaller. <laughs> I don't know if he intended that or not. You're slowly taking him away from the universe. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. It was like, yeah, he grows a little bit. Nah, let's keep him the same size. Yeah. I, I think it is funny, though. When when you look at any book, whether you look at Guruhiru's first issue of Power Pack and their final issue of Power Pack, or you look at Chris's first Franklin strip and his last Franklin strip, there's always that little bit of learning curve of the oh, characters okay. and, and finding your footing. And, and, you know, heck, as a writer, it's the same thing. I mean, my my first issue of Power Pack is so different than how I wrote the kids in my last issue of Power Pack because I had grown with them and I had grown to understand them better over the course of, of having them live in my head. I know Jeff just finished doing a total reread of the entire, or first read, sorry, of, yeah, the entire, of the entire run. It seems like there's a little bit looser interpretations of the characters and the situations and just kind of more of the, a little bit of a slapstick in a good way of dealing with the situations around them, which I think is kind of part of that growing process as well just really having fun with the characters i think we were having fun with the characters and we wanted the characters to have fun with each other right because one of the things that that we constantly tried to remind ourselves is yes they're heroes but they're also kids yeah Yeah. and one of the things about the 80s series is that it was like you said earlier it was a very serious and dark tone Mm. and and a lot of a lot of the stuff they went through in those those books you know, you could almost forget that they were kids because they were dealing with hard stuff. Yes. And, and we wanted to have those moments of joy in there that, you know, we could really show them being kids and getting to have that little bit of fun that modern readers would relate to also. And the 80s were a dark and gritty time for all of us. You know, as, as a six-year-old, I could relate with that power pack. But in the modern era, I wanted it to be a little brighter and shinier. Yeah, a little bit of a happier future. Yeah. What are you reading right now? Or do you, is there any kind of books or anything that you actually consume now that you enjoy reading? Yeah, you know, I, I, I like still, I still read comics. I, mean, I think that's important, you know, as a, as a comic book writer, it is important to be aware of what is going on in comics. So, I mean, I read the majority of the Marvel line. 
I read a bunch of DC stuff. I, I read, uh, I mean, every, you know, it's not kid friendly for, for you power pack fans out there, but saga, you know, by Brian Vaughn is, is a masterpiece. And, and I mean, there are so many good comics out there, you know, that just walking into a comic shop and picking something random off the table, you're likely to find something fun that you like, you know, and that's, that's the great part. Uh, I don't have nearly as much time as I would like to uh, sit down and and read actual books of late because we're getting ready for a new baby and we're uh, I'm writing a bunch of projects and I'm working on some video game stuff. A lot of my research these days is is video game related, you know, playing through games and following narratives through those. Where it's not actually reading, but it's it's studying story structure. So you know that's another part of my job. I I, I create content for Marvel Future Fight, which is a mobile game, as well as some upcoming video game projects that haven't been announced yet. And so you know immersing myself in whatever kind of project I'm working on is really important. I've been reading a lot of Star Wars stuff lately, Star Wars novelizations and tie-ins and, and you know, expanded, right. it's not called the expanded universe anymore, but the canon novels and, and comic tie-ins uh, because I'm working on, on an upcoming Star Wars project. Ooh, cool. um, so a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, just making sure that I'm I'm immersed in whatever I'm writing. Cool. Thank you very much. My daughter participates in our show by providing the sound effects, Katie's voice, and her own reviews on our book. And we'd like to hop her on the line so she can ask you some questions, you know, for the kids' perspective. Awesome. My name's Karen. I'm eight years old. And my daddy said a lot about what I was going to say. Um <laughs> Hi, Carrie. Do you have a family? Like, I mean, like, do you have kids? Do you have a wife yet? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I, I'm married and I have a daughter. Her name is Charlie and she is, she's four and a half years old. She's going to turn five in April. And then we are expecting a new baby, a, a boy who is going to be arriving in March. Um, so I'm about to be a father of two, which is really, really exciting. How do you feel writing these books? Do you enjoy writing these books? I love writing Power Pack. Um, you know, there there was a part of writing Power Pack for me was like going back to being a kid again. Getting to think about the adventures that I used to have when I was younger with my best friends and all the cool things we'd do together. And I'd, I'd put all of those things together and mash them up and try to make a fun story for these kids to, to go out. And then I'd add some super villains to the mix, too, because we didn't have a lot of those in my neighborhood. But we, you know, we figured since it's the Marvel Universe, we should add some. But it was just so much fun to get to tell stories about these kids. Carrie, what stories or what kind of characters do you like to talk about and play with dc superheroes <laughs> nice yeah my, my my daughter my daughter is a big fan of the dc superhero girl stuff she loves it me too um who's who's your daughter's favorite right now uh she really loves from from the dc side she really loves supergirl and batgirl from the marvel side she really likes ms marvel and she likes Spider-Gwen, because we went to go see Into the Spider-Verse together, and she thought it was amazing. I did too. <laughs> I like how you made kids sound in these books. How did you do that? Well, the, the real secret is that I never grew up. Uh, <laughs> I, I still think like a kid. And so, you know, it was a matter of trying to think of how I would have said something if I were younger. You know, before, before maybe I knew the big words, you know, I, I I had had all the experiences I had. If I were in that situation and I were a little bit younger, what would I have thought of? 
how would I have said it? How would I have reacted? And then I also, you know, I try to hang out with as many kids as I can. I got nieces. I've got, you know, lots of people around me who, who know young kids or, or have young kids in their family. And I just get to listen to them and I get to hear how they talk. And I get to try to use that in, in my writing to make sure that the kids sound like kids. It's not easy to do, but it's fun to try to pick up on, on how kids talk and, and use it in those scripts. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the answer. No problem. We got one more question. Who is your favorite member of Power Pack? Oh, I love them all. It's so hard to choose. But, you know, I have a real soft spot for Jack. I, I, I don't know why. You know, as, as, as adorable as Katie is and as, as smart as Julie is and as strong and, and quick as, as Alex is, even though Jack's the troublemaker, I, I always root for him. I know he's going to do the right thing eventually, and I, I want him to get there, and I want him to figure out how to do the right thing. And so I'm always cheering for Jack. Um, so that is probably my favorite because I know Alex is going to do the right thing. I'm pretty sure that Julie's going to do the right thing. I'm almost certain Katie's going to do the right thing. But but Jack, there's always a little bit of a question. And it's always a big relief for me when I get to the end of writing the story that I figured out why Jack decided to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and so for me, I think there was the most joy in Jack's journey through the series. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie. I'm proud that I can get her to... To, to, to talk to a microphone. I, I think she's That's awesome, man. she does a lot better in person, but I, I'm trying my best with her. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. Keeping her in the, she, she actually does enjoy doing this. Uh, it's not me twisting her arm too. She loves <laughs> telling people I'm on a podcast with my daddy and I get to read these books. And... That's so cool. Oh, it's so nice that you get to do it together. You know, it's funny, you know, because I, I'm, I'm kind of like you said, you know, you don't twist her arm. I'm, I'm the same way with my kid. I'm, I'm immersed in, in comic culture and pop culture all the time. And I have a lot of friends who raise their kids to, to like what they like and who, you know, they take their kids to the comic conventions and they dress up together as a family. And that's great. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. But I, they've always said, Oh, she's got to be so into Marvel. And my answer is always, no, not really. No, not really. <laughs> What, what she what she really loves, I mean, she likes Marvel. She thinks mm -hmm. it's cool. But, you know, what she really loves are these six or seven other properties that she's chosen as her own. And I'm fine with that. You know, my parents didn't force me to read comics when I was a kid. I found them mm -hmm. on my own. And I continued to love them. And they continued to support my love of them. I'm going to do the same thing for her. And if she finds her way to the characters that I write eventually and decides she likes them, awesome. And if she doesn't, that's cool, too. She can find her own thing. She's wrong, but she can find her own thing. <laughs> I, I have no problem at all going to the comic book store with my daughter, telling her to go over. I, I will buy her one comic book you know, every time we go to the store. She goes to the all ages section. She picks out something she wants to read. That's fine. I'm not going to tell her which one she's got to read. You know, the the uh, OCD part of me is like, well, you've got to get them all. You've got to get them in the series. But no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I don't want to hand over my collector gene to her. That's, that's the, no, no, yeah. that, that way lies no money. But, <laughs> and no shelf space and no right. shelf space. And yeah, let's go ahead. We got just a little bit of time left. Let me go ahead and get these through really quickly. Yeah. We asked some questions from our followers and we did get something back from Tim price, who is one of our biggest fans. And he's actually a big podcasting fan in general, but he's great guy yeah he interacts with the show a lot and that's really amazing in fact he did uh, the voice of nephisto for us nice. uh, when we did our we did our own crossover event of uh the four issues of mephisto versus 
beautiful and we uh comboed up with other podcasts and did those so. yeah we, th- we threw it out we're like we you know we've got an idea we're going to do this you know four issue thing with you know three other podcasts anybody want to you know what podcast want to be involved with it who wants to be involved in Tim Price is like, ah, I'm not on a podcast, but I'll do something. And then without ever hearing him or talking to him, I said, okay, you're Mephisto's voice. Send us some voice samples. (laughs) And he was perfect. (laughs) That's awesome. Were there any team-ups that you did not get to do, but you wanted to do? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Punisher and Power Pack was was the one that I wanted to do that we never got to do. And I can't I can't say I ever wrote a pitch for it per se. Like I don't know what would have happened during it, but I wanted to do it. Like that to me would have been because once we got into the routine of of okay, we're doing a hero plus power pack. You know, we did Avengers, we did X-Men, we did Spider-Man, we did Hulk, and we started going down the line and every time I'd throw out Punisher because I just <laughs> thought it would be hilarious. Yeah. And hey, if 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 Archie could have done it, uh-huh. the power pack could have yeah, done it. Yeah, it's canon. And and I wanted to find a unique, fun story to tell that would have challenged me to write Punisher in an all-ages comic and power pack in a much darker situation in this particular iteration. And I thought, man, that could be not just ridiculous, but actually pretty cool, but it never materialized. Uh, for probably logical reasons. I did, want did, you to spitball that and send it our way. Yeah. Just, we'll, it, we'll, it doesn't we'll, even have to go anywhere. I just we, want, we won't show it to anybody. We won't show hand. it to anybody. <laughs> did, you did read the Infinity Warps uh, Punisher and Power Pack? Yes, I was very excited about oh. that. I, 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 that made me uh, smile very big because it was it was almost like my wish came true. Yes. I, I thought that was a fantastic introduction. I want to see the rest of that story. Yes. Absolutely. Because this is something we struggle with, we agree with this question from Tim. Uh, how do you pronounce Kofi? Kofi? Uh, I pronounce it Kofi, like Kofi Annan. That's that's how I pronounce it. I don't know if that's right. You know, it's I've never heard... My, my gauge is usually how does Stan Lee pronounce it? <laughs> um, in, in an interview. And that's the right that's the right one. <laughs> Unless it's Annihilus. Uh, because I have heard him say Annihilus in an interview and I believe he pronounced it Annie Hillis um, which I which I think was a Woody Allen movie um, but but usually Stan's pronunciation is the one that I say okay that's it but I've never I've never heard him say this one but so uh, I go with Kofi um, it could be coffee, but it looks like Kofi to me as it's written. We've been so going with that's Kofi. That's what I go yeah, with. Yeah, we've been going with Kofi That's, that's well. going to have to be a question for Louise. And and trust me, I am trying to nail her down for an interview. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, I think the entirety of our interview with her is going to be, how do you say this name? How do you say this name? <laughs> what were you thinking here? This is a this is the far left field question, and I think Tim might... I, I'm not sure why Tim asked this, but we're going to go with it. What's your favorite flavor of cheese? You know, I am a connoisseur of delicious cheeses and cheese stuffs, <laughs> but I always go back to a nice, sharp cheddar. And and, and I mean, like, sh- real sharp. Like, sharp, it could cut your tongue sharp. Okay. Um, we're talking like, a, like a, a nice, you know aged Gloucester or something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's got a, a, a cheddar vibe, but, but really has that, that calcium crystal in it that, that kind of cracks as you sink your teeth through it crumbles, not that homogenized cheddar you, you get from, from like a cheese board, but like crumbly and flaky. That's the good stuff. And I think way too much about this apparently, because <laughs> uh, I have a very extensive answer. about. My um, I think for our next podcast, we're going to start a cheese cast and yeah. we're just going to cheeses people. of the Marvel universe. Yeah, yeah. Cheeses 
cheeses of the Marvel Universe. Which you can try what is 616 your different cheeses? Yeah, it's it's matching cheeses with heroes. I think Captain Ooh, America's. I love it. Yeah, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Captain America's going to be a provolone. No, Cap is just craft singles, man. Okay. <laughs> oh, American wow. cheese. There you go. Perfect. I was trying you, to think of what is the get, American you cheese. You don't get more American than, 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 than the processed cheese stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. immensely true. And processed, <sighs> like yeah. Steve. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, like, U, U.S. agent is like a can of whiz. Yeah. Oh, just, he, he's he's kind of as good as Steve, but not quite. A little bit fake tasting. Would Deadpool be Swiss just because he's usually full of holes? Probably, yeah. probably, yeah. Okay. No, or a little bit. He'd, you'd have to find something a little bit moldy for for Deadpool. Yeah, based on yeah, his his yeah. skin conditions, you'd probably have to yeah. find something with a little bit of funk to it. It's going to be an old blue cheese. Yeah. What's a good Canadian cheese for Wolverine? I don't know. I just yeah. want to say Pepper Jack because that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> my response for things is always like, well, what do I like? That's going to be my answer. <laughs> All right. We're running low on yeah, time. So let's go and ask. So, the, uh, we'll do this last one here. So, Mark, what advice do you give to children that want to become writers? First and foremost, read. Uh, I was an avid reader as a kid. I absorbed everything I could get my hands on, not just comics, but books and, and everything that I could find. And the basis of understanding how a story is structured comes from reading stories. You know, you don't you don't know how to write a story if you haven't read a story. And and it's great to have ideas, but unless you know how to execute them, you don't have a chance. And I, I know so many kids who say, I, I want to work in comics and I want to write comics. And I say, well, what kind of stuff do you like to read? And they go, I don't really read. And I go, whoa, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. because without that you, there's no transition from one to the other but also make your own stuff you know make up your stories i started making my own comics when i was probably four or five years old started drawing them they're terrible i have them in a folder somewhere upstairs but they're you know my first attempts at making a comic and then those got better and in high school my best friend and i used to ignore our ap biology teacher and draw comics in the back of the classroom <laughs> uh, we still both got a's somehow but we we created our own storylines there and then that fell over into college where we started our own website and we're publishing our own characters online in the early days of the internet like i'm talking hosted by aol days of the internet oh, yeah. um and, and that you know was probably making my own stuff was probably the reason that when i applied to be an intern at marvel they chose me other than the random you know 30 other kids on the stack of resumes is because i was probably the one that was actually actively trying to make my own comics even if they weren't any good um and then from there it went on to a career you know so making my own stuff was the beginning of making this stuff for a living well speaking of uh stuff that you're working on are you working on anything now or do you have anything that you would like to plug yeah sure um well i'm i'm a content writer for marvel future fight which is a popular mobile game for ios and android uh so you can get it on your phone or your tablet mm -hmm. uh, and we we create all kinds of cool new stuff for that new uh batch of content that involves captain marvel that ties into the upcoming movie just came out and we've got a lot more to come this year that's going to be lots of fun um i just had a book come out through becker and mayer it is a survival handbook um so it's everything you need to know to survive virtually any situation in the wilderness um from a bear attack to poison ivy to forest fires and so on 
Um, and that was a lot of fun to write because it was outside of my normal wheelhouse of, of writing comics mm-hmm. and, and pop culture stuff. I'm also going to be working on, it was just announced recently that I'm going to be working on a cookbook with, with a, a chef that is uh, going to be tied into the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge land in uh, both Disneyland and uh, Disney World, uh, the new section of the park. We're, we're going to be writing the official cookbook that ties in to, to that area that is uh, coming out this fall. Nice. Well, there's some stuff that ties into, I'm writing a book for Back to the Future. I'm writing a Ghostbusters project. Lots of cool stuff. And I've got some more video game stuff that should be coming up in announcements uh, over the course of the summer. Uh, that should be, you know, so people should keep their eye on my website, sumerac.com, if they want to find out more about that. Well, it sounds like you are doing a eclectic variety of amazing things that oh, each one seems like they would be a lot of work and effort. So, And, and also you are going to be producing your own child too yes. so there you go yes yes <laughs> so somehow i'm going to have to figure out how to do all those things at once which is going to be interesting but it's worth it well you, uh, you, you've uh, you've mastered typing and changing a diaper at the same time yeah. right i have yep one one with each <laughs> excellent. hand excellent well that's why you have the sometimes i accidentally type on the baby Ooh. which is not a wife well, that's not why you type on the baby no. and put a diaper on the computer <laughs> which is not good uh, that, uh, i wouldn't like to send that in for the editor the you might get some bad <laughs> notes back from the editor on that one yeah uh mark we want to talk about this current draft yep. that you sent in it is a uh, small kinda, child that's screaming it, it kind of stinks a little bit yeah. it kind of stinks uh, yeah. mark thank you thank you thank you so much for your time we really appreciate this we we love what you've done with the series we love what you've given to us and the rest of the community thank you so much for doing that thank you so much for spending time with us my pleasure thank you thank you so much for your time and everything you've done. We really do appreciate it. This is a, uh, this is my pleasure. Guys. This is uh, outwardly for us and absolutely amazing that, uh, you know, the creators, of the stuff that we enjoy are willing to, you know, spend an hour or two with us talking about what they've done on our silly little show. So we really, really do appreciate it. Well, you know what? We appreciate you being out there and spreading the good word and loving this stuff. You know, we, we do this because we love it, and we're glad to know that other people love it, too. So it makes my day being a part of something like this, and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Shout out time. We would like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. On Facebook, Cullen Stapleton. Keith Baker. Jeff Pollier. Jeremy Daw. Max Trevor. Cindy Heineken? I know her. I think I've met her before. Isn't she related to... My daughter. Your daughter? That's yes. right. Pat Sampson. Hoover Jeremiah. Al Sedano. Virginia Taylor. Mitch Gillian. And speaking of Mitch Gillian, have I mentioned that if you are in Portland, Oregon, you should go to the Nerd Out. It is our city's premier geek bar. It's awesome. And now for Twitter shoutouts. Tim Price. Thank you, Tim Price, for your questions that we use this episode. And now you have your answer about cheese. <laughs> <laughs> he, Mark was very, very vocal about his cheese likes and his uh, feeling on cheeses that the uh, Marvel superheroes would enjoy, what their I, preferences would be. I'm thinking that that is going to be a thing in and of itself. I think it really could be. <laughs> Sailor Bear Zodar. Jeremy Daw. Craig McNichol. Warlock Thanos Podcast. Cannonball. Rustin LF. Alexander, who informed us that the monkey we were trying to think of was the Capuchin monkey named after the monks that inspired the coffee. Comics in the Golden Age. Coffee is good, Mal. Land Monkey, Limax 7, and Charles Gears, who asked what presents the Power Kids received for Christmas that year. Now, since it's being 1985 and their mom is in the hospital for like three months, um, hang on, I think I got something here. Try this out. First, I think Grandpa came through in style. I think he knows his grandkids and told Jim not to worry about it. 
he got the presents. For Katie, being the youngest, My Little Pony's in a new bassoon. He remembered she actually tried doing this bassoon in that one time when they went to the aquarium, and she really liked it before, you know, the bassoon got destroyed. So when he got new, he got this great two-for-one deal at the music store and got her her own. Hmm. Uh, Jack, Transformer Toys, because that was the in thing at the time, and um, Jack was probably getting all of the Decepticons. Julie, well, books. Books, books, books. Dragons of Spring Dawning was out about then and was pretty big. Also, Gramps noticed that Julie was a little more into sci-fi, so he may have picked up Ender's Game. Hmm. Alex. Alex. Um, what do you uh, think Alex got? I'm thinking Alex may have gotten just um, a book on dictatorship. Uh, <laughs> maybe he got, uh, uh, what is it, the constructor set? Or maybe a uh, home... Chemistry set? Chemistry set, yeah. Home chemistry set, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he may have also gotten a bunch of new binders, too. Oh, a bunch of binders? Oh. Yeah, because uh, he had written I Love Allison on him, yeah. and, you know, Allison's probably going to dump him real soon. Probably. Probably. Quick. yeah. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, Sharpies and new binders. Yeah. Yeah. Socks. Uh, something, socks. Something, uh, something sensible. Something sensible. Yeah. Socks and a nice hat. Be sure to check out another show that I'm currently working on, Rick Meets the Legion. Nicholas Prom guides me through decades of old DC comics while we drink. You can find the show on the Comic Reflections podcast. Just look up Comic Reflections wherever you find podcasts. You know, listen to me drink on another show. Because <laughs> <laughs> we need more of that. Once again, before we leave, just a big thank you to Mark Sumrak for his time um letting us interview him on our show mm-hmm. and just being a great great guy we had a lot of fun talking to him it was a perfect day because we had a snow day here so my daughter was actually available to help us out with the recording which was kind of nice nice surprise but it was really nice to be able to do that it really was uh yeah he was a great sport about it and really really informative and really nice it was uh very kind of him to spend the time with us that he did we yes. really do appreciate it we are Jeff and Rick Present, and we record and self-produce our podcast in Portland, Oregon. If you'd like to talk to us, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. This will help other people find us. And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our lives. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We We love love you. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Blipstream. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Oh, how's your cold? Uh, it's a little bit better. I'm, you know, okay. I'm at the I'm at the tail end of it. Thanks. Okay, good. Yeah, I was. Uh, I know this season it's just been rough with colds, where it was like, oh, I've got something. Okay, it's starting to go. No, it's back. Yeah, my. D- okay, it's going. No, no, it's still here. Yeah, my daughter brought it home from preschool, and then it, it eventually, after nights of holding her, you know, through the, through the evening, <laughs> then uh, it, it transferred to me. So. Yeah, I got a one and a half year old, so uh, I, gotcha. I, I totally I hear that. It's like, hey, let's go to the library and then let's uh, play with kids that are quote unquote teething. Yep, and then and then let's have a cold for seven weeks. You got a you, you've got a new one coming up too, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, in like three weeks. So it's it's an exciting oh. new adventure. Yes, it is. Congratulations Thank you. on that. Well, it's it's one it's one that you've uh, done before, so you got a little bit of experience. Right, right. We got just two more yeah. two more to make our own pack. Yeah. So. <laughs> We're good. The next next thing, of course, is choosing out which powers they get. Yeah. Uh, right. And, and right. Um, 
and and then making sure that you know they understand the importance of unstable molecule clothing because that just saves you the cleaning up effort afterwards. Oh, and yeah, no more, no more, <clears throat> yeah, no more clothes shopping. I'm pretty sure my daughter is just just going to go the way of, of Alex during his New Warriors era and and just take all the powers for herself. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how she's going to do it. Yeah, well, this one's mine, and this one's mine, and I, that I, one's mine too. I am the oldest, therefore they all are mine. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We found out June Brigman owned eight cats. Ten. Ten cats. Ten, oh, ten wow. cats. Yeah. Which wow. that was that an entire <laughs> that was an entire line of questioning right from that. And that came from my daughter's question. Yeah. So it was like excellent. Yeah. Uh, we have some <laughs> stuff we want to ask you. I have ten cats. We have some different stuff we want to ask you. <laughs> you need to explain this to what, cats. What powers do those cats have? <laughs> Besides multiplication. Yeah. I wrote the series, but Franklin was around long before us. So I just don't want to give the wrong impression that I had anything to do with creating the characters. I was so, under the impression you created Marvel Comics. I <laughs> did. I did. It was me and me and Jack Kirby. Yeah. And then you brought in a, a young intern named Stanley. Yep, back during the war, yeah. and then he took everything from me. And then I time traveled, and here I am today. If you look really closely at some of the patents, you are due a lot of money. Yeah. I really hope you guys don't sue us or our mind that we are using the uh, using them as our cold opens. Oh no! I mean, I have nothing to do with suing anybody. That's that's in Marvel's hands, and I'm not going to tell them anything. I don't I don't stick I don't stick the lawyers on anyone unless it's like blatantly bootleg material, and then I I drop a note and I'm like, did you see this awful shirt that somebody made that's misusing your characters? <laughs> you really ought to take that down, and then they do. Going you to the weird, Jeff. We are Jeff. <laughs>